The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are again. We are here in the studio. Yes, we are. Sometimes we're remote, but today we're here in the studio. And we're closing in on the holidays, getting we close are. to the holidays. And we're urging people to please seek treatment. Yes. And do not let the holidays be the reason that you don't decide to go to treatment or you decide to keep your loved one out of treatment until the holidays are over. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience and from many years of experience in the field that the holidays never go the way you wanted to if you've got an addicted loved one that's hanging out, not getting help, and more times than not, it's gonna, they're going to ruin everything. So anyone out there that's listening, if you have a problem or you, one of your family members does, get help now. Don't wait. Have a good holiday next year. Right. And if you think we're belaboring the point, you are absolutely we're right. Absolutely, we are belaboring the absolutely. point because, because you had people call right before Thanksgiving and they were supposed to come before Thanksgiving. They go, okay, we're going to wait till after. And then they don't come. Well, I'll tell you what happens. Two different people... Two different sets of family members called for their loved one, decided to wait till after Thanksgiving, and literally the day after Thanksgiving, they called hysterical about what happened on Thanksgiving. Right. Because every one of the things they told us, oh, that's not going to happen. It's going to be fine. It happened. And- We warned them. Now they're here. We warned them. They should have listened to the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Well, today is very, very exciting because we have a guest and- our guest today is Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi, and she's awesome. She's absolutely awesome. I'm going to deviate from this intro because Pam was elected in 2010, and one of her first priorities was to address the drug situation in Florida. And she's continued to address it, and... I'm so excited that you're with us today. I got to tell you, I said this to Dave Ehrenberg, but I'm going to say to you, you are my hero. (laughs) So thank you for being with us, Pam. Thank you. Oh, I'm honored to be here, Joni. And thank you for all the good work that you do. And Jason, if I can add to something that you just said um, about the holidays being stressful in my mind. And if anything, that's more of a reason why people need to get into treatment for the holidays. And you can have a great successful holiday while you're in treatment. Oh, yeah. Because we all know you have family stresses, you have pressures of buying gifts, you have Mm -hmm. just so much going on with the holidays. And in my experience, not only as a career prosecutor, but as attorney general, I I've seen more people relapse during the holidays because they're stressful. So right, right. So thank you for saying that. And yeah. and, and I mean, you know firsthand, but I firmly believe that that's when people should be in it, and they'll mm-hmm. have a better holiday in treatment. Well, they will. And let me tell you something. Yeah, just absolutely. to deviate for a second, we actually went to Narconon for Thanksgiving because they have a chef, and they had a full-on Thanksgiving dinner. There you so go. it could be good in treatment. Minus distress. Exactly. And I always exactly. tell families like, if you they're they're addicted. Before the holidays, they're going to be addicted during the holidays. And if you think that's going to be this like quint- quintessential American, you know, the American dream holiday where everyone's sitting around a fire and everyone's opening presents and all that stuff, it's not what's going to happen because the addiction is still there. The, the addiction doesn't take a holiday. Going to be seeking drugs, going out and getting drugs because they're hooked on either painkillers, heroin, meth, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they're just going to continue through that. So that's right. That's know. right. So this is a very timely um, broadcast. So exactly. Exactly. Now, when you took over, one of the first things I remember you really addressing as attorney general were the pill mills in Florida. Mm -hmm. What kind of, I mean, maybe just knew when you took office, but how did that come about that that became an issue that you addressed it as an issue and tell us a little bit about what you did? 
Well, you know, Jenny, when I was running for office, I, I, I'd been a career prosecutor in Hillsborough County my, my entire career since I was in my early 20s, I'd prosecuted. So, you know, my life was pretty much um, bound by Hillsborough County. But when you're running for a statewide office for the first time, um, I think I lost my mind. But when you're running for an <laughs> office, it, it's, we're the third largest state now, you know, in the country and 22 million people currently. Um, but, but you're all over the state of Florida. And I was a career prosecutor. Yeah, I was Lord, I had no idea seven people a day in our state were dying from oxycodone abuse. Wow. Seven a day. And the worst part is the criminals were doctors in our state. I can't. And I call them criminals wearing white coats. Yes. Yes. And we had virtually no laws to prevent that. And whether you're here or really it was more prevalent in Broward and Palm mm-hmm. Beach, South Florida. I went out with some of our sheriffs and you see these, you know, they, they were everywhere. I, 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 there's some statistic that there were more pill mills than McDonald's or something. I, I, I don't know if that's accurate, it. but something like that I on every it. street corner. And, and you would go out and I would see lines and lines of cars. It was almost like a drive through wrapped around these little dive strip malls where these doctors, if they were even in there, we're just signing prescription pads for oxycodone pills. And it was ridiculous. And so, you know, I learned the legislature, they had tried for six or seven years to pass unsuccessfully legislation. And, you know, I came in my first three months in office and I go, I don't need this job. I'm doing it for the right reasons and I'm going to go to war. And, um, and, and you we did. Were, well, and we were very blessed that we had great lawmakers and a great governor who backed me up. And, and so, you know, now of the top 100 oxycodone dispensers in the entire country, 98 of them had lived in Florida. After our legislation, none of them live in Florida. And if we were an audience, we would all clap right now because that's amazing. <laughs> we can clap. Okay, yeah. we can clap. Yeah, but, exactly. But, you know but it's not to say, though, and, 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 and we all know this, um, it's, it's not to say, though, that, that it's not over. You know, you right. do that and, and you think you've been successful. And then you get a call. I get a call from St. Joseph's Hospital and I learn about the babies, mm-hmm. all the babies being born exposed to oxycodone so you know we started on that and then all these crazy synthetic drugs the bath salts the designer drugs so then i started outlining you know it's it's like you feel like um it's just this constant cycle with with the drug abuse in our country and in our world and and you know something else we found is you can't keep it contained to florida right um it's a bipartisan group of ags all over the country and now we know we can't just keep it in our country and i can talk about that in a minute but but we've got to go after china and we've got to go after mexico where these drugs are being imported into our country killing our citizens wow yeah exactly and china's like one of the biggest contributors to the fentanyl problem right now and this is not medical fentanyl by the way medical fentanyl is used in hospitals this is the black market trash fentanyl Mm -hmm. it's all being manufactured in china and it's coming in through the u.s post office right into our country is it true there i think i heard they're creating different analogs of fentanyl so there's all these different forms of fentanyl going around that we really don't know what it is anymore well we don't and it's the, the fentanyl is um well, and here's why, you know, it's, it's being manufactured in Asia. Some of it's coming again straight in, which scares me to death. A kilo of fentanyl came in to Nebraska, a tiny town in Nebraska. That could kill a million people, by oh the way, if, when it's cut and put yeah. with other drugs. But if they're taking it, sending it through Mexico first, mm-hmm. then they're cutting it because it's profitable. You know? Right, of course. They're, they're, they're cutting it. They're breaking it down with who knows, baby powder, anything. And, and so, first of all, you don't know what you're getting. 
Um, they're mixing it with other chemicals. They're mixing it with heroin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Pinellas County, we learned that that five people literally dropped dead in three days. I think they were all between the ages of 19 and 23. They thought they were buying a Xanax pill for two bucks on the street. You know, what's the pill of choice for kids now? Xanax or Adderall? Mm-hmm. You know, especially studying concentration finals. Right. So they're, they think they're buying that. They can't kill them. And, in fact, what it was, it was heroin laced with fentanyl. Wow. Well, pressed into a pill that looked exactly like a Xanax. Oh, yeah. So having said that, I have a millennial who works for me um, because I'm going, (laughs) how in the world are they getting this junk? How are they doing this? And he walks in and he says, I'll never forget Ned. He then says, General, I can buy a Xanax pill press right now on Amazon for $50 and on eBay. Whoa. So within 10 minutes, I had Amazon and eBay general counselors or CEOs are on the phone and they immediately pulled them. And, um, you know, they try to keep up with everything as, as best they can. That's hard, but, though. But, yeah. Because they have so many the, products. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, I'll tell you, they, they, they were fast. They got them off. They, they, they were freaked out that they were selling them on there, you know. And, um, but you can still order them. You can still get them. I right. mean, that's, that's not going to stop the problem, but it's going to at least slow it down. Yeah. But good on you at least jumping on that and talking to somebody at Amazon and getting them to do that. And, and well, and, but, but, and you know what else you have to tell your audience? And this is what I tell so many teenagers now because, you, you know, it's not illegal to make a, a generic pill press. So these kids could be thinking, I, this, I say this and I don't think this is radical at all. If you're at school and, and you say, oh, I have a headache and somebody you don't know offers you a Tylenol, don't take it. No. Don't take anything from anyone you don't know and trust. That's a very good you point. you don't know what's in it. Because it could be anything. It could be anything. I mean, uh, it's scary. It's a scary time to use drugs. Yes. These days. Right? I, like when I was using drugs back in the day, you never had to worry about all this. I know I used to always say, you had to worry about people making your drugs weaker. Like when I was using cocaine, you worried about getting a baggie full of baking soda. Now I have to, you have to worry about getting a baggie full of fentanyl right. or Xanax or whatever it is. So it's a much different time now than mm-hmm. it used to be. It's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me what what you went through, because I think you told me a little bit of this before, but I want you to share it with the listeners about the spice and the different formulations and how you had to deal with that. Yeah, we, um, well, so when I, when I, shortly after I took office, I thought I could pretty much micromanage everything and go home to Tallahassee, my condo at night and read hundreds and hundreds of letters. And that's what I did. And one just caught my eye. I was up all night. I couldn't sleep. And it was from Sheriff Frank McKeithen in the panhandle. And he said, General, I've got to meet with you. We have a problem. Um, The synthetics, the bath salts, I had never even heard of them. And in fact, I called um, law enforcement who I knew well, because again, you know, I'm from Central Florida, I'm from Tampa Bay. I called law enforcement who I'd worked well with in in like the I-4 corridor area of Florida. And they had never heard of them. So what happened is Bobby Jindal had outlawed him in um, Louisiana, probably because of Bourbon Street, New Orleans, mm-hmm. and all that. So what these dealers do, they had moved, and they had started in the panhandle. Mm-hmm. So we at least caught them somewhat early, because what did we have coming up? Spring break. Where do kids stay? High rises. And these synthetics are hallucinogenics. They, um, you take them, and you think you can fly. Mm-hmm. So you've got a ton of college kids, high school kids, on balconies, taking these bath salts, and if you you could jump off a building and, and die. So I had Sheriff McKeithen within hours drove to my office in Tallahassee. I sent two FDLE agents, Florida Department of Law Enforcement agents, in the Tallahassee Mall, and they bought this stuff legally. 
wow. went in, had it analyzed, and I'll never forget their faces when they came back in, in, in my office and they said, this is basically LSD. Oh, my God. And, wow. Yeah, and you could buy it legally in the mall. Legally. So I started signing emergency orders. Um, and some people said I shouldn't do that because I didn't even know I had this authority. And, you know, you can at first you're like, wow, that's a lot of power. But it's not. It's a lot of responsibility. So mm-hmm. with the stroke of a pen, I can make something illegal until it goes through session the following term. And it has to be something so extreme. And in this case, it was. Yeah. And, and to date, I think I've signed over, I've lost count a million, not a million, I'm sorry, a hundred, <laughs> close to a hundred emergency orders, um, um, different varieties. But now we have good legislation. You talked about analogs. So mm-hmm. if they try to mix up the chemicals a little bit, you know, they always try to stay ahead of us. So I would sign an emergency order. It would pass. It, it passed every time, every session, sure. of course. But then they would just change up the compounds a little bit. Right. And here we go again. So now we have... A, a bigger, broader, more sweeping law to, to, to protect against that. Um, the newest one is U forty-seven seven hundred, and that's just this crazy lethal, like it's almost like a car fentanyl, you, crazy lethal. The like car fentanyl, of course, is like an elephant tranquilizer. Right, and so, so, but, but, yeah. So we've tried to stay ahead of that. But again, you know, I never thought in my lifetime, you know, Jenny, you think growing up, you see on the movies that heroin is going to be. Um, on a dark street corner in a bad neighborhood with a dirty needle. And you're not going to have, you know, people that you know out doing that when now you can, you know, walk on the street and buy it in a pill. Exactly. Exactly. once you're hooked, you are hooked. And addiction doesn't know economic status. It doesn't care. Drugs don't care about economic status. They don't care about your age. They don't care about your religion. They don't care about anything about you. It is, it's across the boards. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and so often now it's the it's the young people and some of the older people who are like they have high income. They're in higher class. Yeah. I mean, you, have, you don't just have drug addicts in the slums of the cities. You have drug addicts in middle class America and upper, you know, the upper classes of yeah. society. It crosses all socioeconomic boundaries. It doesn't matter who you are. All it takes is for that perfect storm to happen that I always talk about, that you have some life problems happening, you take drugs, you all of a sudden have this realization that the drugs do something for you and handle something in your life that you can't get handled, it's game over. Or you have an injury. Or you have an injury. Uh, You know, you have minor surgery, you have something, and and you have some stupid doctor who's still going to prescribe 30 or 60, and I'm going after somebody soon, you're going to hear, 30 or 60 oxycodone pills still to this day for someone who had outpatient surgery. Right. And she brought them to me and said, do I need this junk? I said, no way. And they're still prescribing (laughs) that stuff. So you imagine, she weighs maybe 90 pounds, you start taking that stuff, then you're addicted, then what? You move on to now all the stronger drugs, the heroin, the fentanyl, everything else. Especially as doctors will cut you off after a while then you get to find out what withdrawal feels like and then you hit the streets trying to find your pill of choice which happens to be exorbitantly expensive Mm -hmm. beyond the heroin and fentanyl well i and i told jason one time when i was in los angeles seeing my grandbabies my new grandbabies my back was out really really badly and so i went to an orthopedist and he prescribed um steroids which was fine but he also prescribed a very, very strong Mm painkiller that I refused to take. Right. Because it was the same painkiller that my daughter-in-law had been prescribed after a C-section. Right. Those are not equal. You know, I mean, back Mm -hmm. pain, it's not the same thing, you know? Not even remotely. I have a question for you, Pam. So everything that you're doing in the state, are, are you able, or not, I know you're able to, but are you finding that other attorneys general throughout the country are 
kind of following your lead and doing some of the same things you're doing? Oh, uh, well, I wouldn't I know if they're following my lead, but we're working so well together. Oh, good. It's a complete, oh my goodness, it's a completely bipartisan um, issue with all of us. There are 56 of us. And we work so well together on this. Now, I've been chair, I've been co-chair currently of the um, Substance Abuse Committee for the National Attorneys General Association, still am. So, you know, I have a leading role in that um, with one of my counterparts, and um, Josh Stein in, in North Carolina. But, but that doesn't, um, th- we all work well together. We're, okay. we're a team as far as that goes. And, and again, we don't reinvent the wheel. We share ideas with each other, things that we've done that are successful, um, you know, everything. But, but again... Do I think that the, I deserve any accolades for this? No, because, I mean, we're not winning. We're, I mean, because people are still being addicted. Well, and, I would disagree and, with you. You yeah, do but, deserve but, accolades yeah, but, but. because you're making such huge headway. But we know it's it's a bigger problem. I mean, that's why the president – tell us about the president's commission because that's why he had to do that. Oh, oh my goodness. The, pre- the president cares so deeply about this issue. And, you know, I had known this personal story about him for a very long time, but he just finally shared it publicly that, you know, he had a brother who was an addict. And um, that's why the president – does not drink, of course, has never done drugs. He's so anti-alcohol, everything, because of, you know, what he saw in his family dynamic. And, and so um, the president cares deeply, deeply about this issue. And, and again, we've got to wrap our heads around it. And, you know, someone who just, just took a really had never experienced, didn't understand it until this was Kellyanne Conway. And Kellyanne, now that she's seen it and meeting victims, because, you know, I've prosecuted my whole life, so I've met so many drug-addicted victims, and, and, and Kelly ha- Ann had not. Mm-hmm. And so once you're really in that room, same with the president, really, and you're, and you're talking to these kids who have overcome, um, you know, the, these tragedies of addiction and how successful they are. And, and again, it, it crosses no social lines, mm-hmm. you know, there's no social line. And, and they, um, they really care deeply. And so that's why we, we have to, as a country and as a world, wrap our head around, around this, um, our heads around this, this horrible, horrible issue. Yeah. Now, Governor Scott is also now even more involved in the whole drug issue as well, right? Yes. And he's, he's, I think he's putting emphasis, he's going to, um, I will get this out of my mouth. <laughs> He's going to put money into like helping with education and prevention and and treatment in the state, right? Oh, yes, of course. And we have to have that. I mean, we have to have that because in my opinion, it's got to start with enforcement. Um, Has to start with enforcement, supply and demand. I mean, we've got to cut off the supply of these drugs flowing into our country from China through the U.S. mail, the U.S. Postal Service, they're a disaster with what they're doing. I mean, they have to have more resources. We have to help our DEA agents monitor all these drugs coming in. Mexico, all the Mm -hmm. cocaine, the the heroin, the fentanyl, everything coming in through Mexico. And if you look at Florida, the state in which we live, we're a peninsula. So, you know, it's coming in through the Caribbean, through all different routes. Every port. Every single port it's coming in. So you have to have the enforcement. But then at the same time, we have to have the prevention, what you talked about. We've got to get into our schools. And the president has a a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars for prevention, for education throughout the country as well. So we have to have the prevention at the same time, as well as the treatment, which Governor Scott, of course, believes in all of this with me. We have to have the treatment to get people the treatment that they need. Um, and then you have to, once someone completes treatment, we can't just say, 
go forth and be fine. Um, you know, you have to help reintegrate people into society. And that's why I think halfway houses are so important. I'm a huge fan of drug courts for mm-hmm. addicts because an addict is going to, they're going to mess up. That's the nature of it. I mean, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to relapse. And so that's why drug courts are so good. Yeah. I was going to say something. I was going to piggyback on what you said about prevention is that I think prevention is the way we're going to actually handle the drug epidemic because in order to curb the problem, we need to stop new people from becoming addicted. Right. So we need to handle and help the people that are already addicted get clean and live somewhat normal lives again. But also we need to prevent more people from becoming addicted in the first place. So the prevention efforts are amazing mm-hmm. that we're getting going here. And uh, that's a lot of what Narconon does. Is we do a lot of drug prevention, education. So people actually have information. They can actually make a logical choice in life. An educated and can, an ed- choice. Yeah, right? an educated choice. And they can actually understand what they might be getting themselves into if they're going to take that first pill, if they're going to take that first hit, that first line or first whatever, mm-hmm. that at least they have the information. And, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, it was very different. You know, they don't start talking to you about all this until you're in high school. Right. right. And now oh, no. <laughs> you've lost them. You've got to start in junior high school. It's I, crazy. I would even say young. you could start at sixth grade. Oh, you could oh, start at elementary school. Absolutely. Middle Be- school. Because absolutely. one of the addicts that I, or the former addicts that I interviewed on the podcast, how did he, how did he get introduced? 12 years old on a Boy Scout trip. So that's sixth grade when you're saying 12 years old. I think we have to go with the younger kids and the parents. I yes. think those are the two demographics that we should focus on in terms of education. That's this right. is Miss Expert here. But that would be my idea because, totally because parents miss the indicators, mm-hmm. as you know, over and over again, Jason, oh, yeah. because they call you. True. They go, how do I know my kid's addicted? And then they describe the symptoms and you go... Sounds like it. Do a drug test. And then you have the kids. And I have said this before, but I believe in my total heart of hearts that if you take younger children and you explain why and you give them the actual facts and the truth about drugs and why not to do them, they will make the right decision. If you just say, say no, that's like holding a red cape in front of a bull, okay? It just is. But if you really give them the, you educate them on the facts. I think they'll. I think they will say no. Agree, agree, yeah. agree. And but all of these factors that we've talked about, you, you you've got to hit them all simultaneously. That's right. You know, yeah, of course, absolutely. The treatment, the prevention, the education, everything. That's right. It's got everything a, at the same time. It's a multi pronged approach. Mm-hmm. You can't just do it one way. You have to do it multiple different ways. And eventually, something's going to work when you can kind of push everything together. Like you said, the prevention, the ed- the education, the rehab the aftercare everything it comes together and hopefully we're going to start to see the numbers dropping and people dying from overdoses and people newly becoming addicted i pray but again we have got to cut off the supply because that's how so many people now are getting addicted without even knowing it and 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 because these crazy drugs are so strong now Mm -hmm. the second you take one you don't own your life anymore. That's your right. life is over. That's exactly they, right. The drugs own you, and they control you and everything you do. And that's why they'll sell you a pill for $2 and tell you it's something else. Because once you take the first pill, you're, you're addicted, and you want more and more and more. And you'll spend everything you have. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll lie, cheat, and steal to get, to get drugs yeah. because you don't have a Absolutely. choice. That's you right. No, you no longer have the ability to say no once you're addicted. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about that yep. in a previous episode is that there's that idea of why don't, why don't you just stop? That's what you parents will say. Why doesn't he why just, you stop? just stop? Or why doesn't she just stop? You don't have that option. That you drug can. owns you. Once you've gone down that road. That's right. So what else would you like to tell our listeners about the subject and where we're going with it? And Well, just parents. Um, parents need to take a very active role in, in, their, in their kids' lives. And 
And, um, you know, of course, we know we've already said this is all age groups, you know, mm-hmm. um, every every background you can imagine. But, you know, parents need to you can't keep this stuff in your medicine cabinet. We've said that forever. Right. Um, can't do it. And don't flush it down the toilet, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Take it to your local law enforcement drug take back days to get rid of it. Right. But um, you can't keep it in there because them the, the kids or their friends will come in and get it. And you have um, to have the conversation with your children. You have I did to that have on it. a continuing basis. You have to have that conversation. It may not be an easy conversation to have, mm-hmm. but you have to do it. Sure do. And you have to watch for the signs. You have to watch for the indicators. Mm-hmm. You know, because they'll they'll be there. If your child is an addict, they will be there. And I think a lot of parents are in denial. I mean, I think they think, well, my friend's kids might do it, but my kids would never do that. Yep. And what they have to understand is their kids, again, might not know what they're getting into at first. Yep. Right. And then once they're in it, they don't have a choice. That's nope. right. Well, we interviewed, I interviewed Jason's parents because... <laughs> Because they wanted they wanted to be interviewed, yeah, and he suggested that I do that. And it was classic because his mother enabled him mm-hmm. while he was an addict. His father knew he was an addict and told her over and over again. And he, he said to her, he said, you enabled him. She said, I did. And then they found a support group. I don't know if you've ever heard of them called Learn to Cope. No. It's called learntocope.org. And they are just mentors. That's all they do. And they Jason's parents contacted them, and the mentor for them said, you're enabling your son. You have to stop enabling your son. And then from you know? that day, I never got enabled again. Yeah. And in her mind, it was love, you know. Yes. Right. Enabling was, in her mind, trying to protect you. Right. And, you know, a lot of times I hear from parents, I'm not going to kick them out because I'd rather right. them die in their bed at home than cold on the street. And that, like, that, made me, <laughs> that actually made me nauseous when I heard a mom say that. But, you know... There's the whole part about enabling and families don't know the best thing to do. Right. You know, families do their best raising their kids. I'll say most families do their best raising their kids, teaching ethics and morals and values and what to do and what not to do and what's right and what's wrong. But at some point when you find your your child is addicted, parents will do anything, Mm -hmm. anything to handle it. And sometimes they don't make the right choice, but they think it's the best thing for them. And so, yeah, my parents were huge enablers and... You know, the non-enabling of addiction, I'm a big proponent of because the longer you enable it, the longer you allow someone to use drugs. Yeah. The most loving thing a family can do is to get their loved one to treatment. That's right. And help yeah. them. That's right. But you have to want the treatment too. Yeah. You're going to run true. away. You're going to fail at first. And, yeah. and the parents, the family, the loved one, they have to stick with you and know and expect that there are going to be relapses. Yeah. This is one of the hardest addictions I think ever, especially this new stuff. Is what, you know, I, I learned so much on the Opioid Commission, yeah. too, about that. And, you know, when I started this, I was framing pictures, high school senior pictures of, of kids in my office who are dead now yep. as my inspiration. And now people are coming up to me, handing me pictures of live kids. I have one frame now, and I just got one when I was in D.C., another picture of a young man who has successfully um, gone through rehabilitation. Oh, that's awesome. so I, I need to frame him in my office yep. too. Yeah. But but yeah, it's just you got you just have to. We can't let up on it. We just have to keep going, and 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 thank you because every time you talk about this, you are saving a life. Well, and that's how you have to look at it. Yep. I think so. It doesn't get so overwhelming. If I can save one person, if we can help one mm-hmm. person, then everything you're doing is worthwhile, and then yep. everything else falls into place. You've done your due diligence. Exactly. Trying to help. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And I, this is an open invitation for you. If you, as Attorney General, run into any major situation in the drug area that you want to communicate to our listeners, you. you just have to let me know. I will have you back on any time. Thank you. Because 
I, like I say, you are my hero. And I don't say that just because I like you. I say it because you, you don't just say that something should be done and then sit back and hope that something should be done. I mean, you take action. And I think it's evident in the state that you take action. And I, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're our attorney general. Oh, well, and I live in Florida, you. because I, you, I know you have a goal to make this a safer state, and a state where people want to come and live. And I think that I think that that goal is being achieved. It's not done. We all know we have more work to do, but you have made great strides. Thank you. And, I, and I, I'm just so lucky in Florida to have the legislature that backs me up and an incredibly great governor who understands this and, and is 100% supportive and a president. Exactly. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. So that was pretty cool, wasn't awesome. it? Awesome. That did was you, awesome. Did you like that? I did. She's a very cool lady. Aren't you glad she's our attorney general? I'm very, I'm, I'm extraordinarily happy because we have someone on our team, on our side, trying to fight the drug epidemic. And that's, that's her goal. That's her main goal is to keep fighting the drugs, keep fighting the importation of, you know, new synthetics from China and Mexico, keep the heroin problem at bay, keep the fentanyl problem at bay. This is fantastic. And she... She like she takes no prisoners. I mean, she will just do whatever needs to be done, which I think is rare for a politician. Usually politicians are trying to cover their own B-U-T-T-S. Yeah. She's not like that. She's like, I'm going to do what needs to be done. Well, I feel very comfortable having her in the attorney general position for Florida because she's got the right purpose. She's got the right purpose. She's got the right idea. She's got a great attitude about it. And it's almost comforting. Yep. It's almost comforting to feel like, you're, we're not so alone yep. in all this that we have really high up people fighting the same fight you and I fight every day. Every well, you fight it every day. I fight you it fight every week, week when we're here together. Week. <laughs> so we are a week out from Christmas. Yep. You need to get help now. Now, if you need help, if you have a friend or family member that needs help, please don't wait until after Christmas. Please don't wait until after New Year's. Do it now. Make your new make your I can't even talk. Make your New Year's resolution to help your loved one now. Now, now don't wait till New Year's. Let's do it now and have the new year start with your new loved one or a new you or your new family or whatever it is. Come to treatment. Exactly. There's no better time than now. Nope. We'll talk again next week. You got it. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 